everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Uh, good morning, everybody. You can have a seat. Thanks for joining us at the Vineyard. I'm so glad you guys came. My name is Amos, and I'm one of the lead pastors here. Uh, if you would open up your Bibles to Matthew 26, if you didn't bring one, they are stacked in the back. Um, today, we will continue in our God Experience series. But before we get started, I just want to dial you up to a really unique and impactful uh, program isn't even quite the right word, but it's a it's a journey. It's a it's a way to move toward Jesus, a way to move toward freedom, and it's called emotionally focused. We've actually been rolling this out in our church over the last three or four years, and uh, it's been intentional that. We've waited up till now to open up the invitation to anybody who wants to do it because it's a pretty involved journey where you're doing a lot of reflecting on the ways that you show up and interact with people, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. A lot of us don't even know the ugly parts, but part of the process is inviting God to shine a light on those what we call autopilot reactions. So if you find yourself either going into a retreat or flight mode when you're faced with anxiety or conflict or into an attack mode. Maybe you get really angry. This is a way to invite Jesus and other people into, well, first of all, an intensive weekend, which is in February, February 24 and 25. So this is a Friday, Saturday where you take a day off, but it leads into a six month journey with weekly coaching, uh, input content. And I mean, I I have done this and I can't think of many things that have had a more profound impact on my own life with Jesus, but also marriage. Like I think it's made me a better husband. I think it's made me a better father. I think it's made me a better pastor. And uh, could I just, if you've done emotionally focused or are doing emotionally focused, could you raise your hand? So this is something that a lot of people in our church have done. And a lot of people say, man, it was hard <laughs> and it took a lot of energy, but was it good? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was worth the investment. So living in freedom and, uh, and love actually takes a lot of intentionality. We think, oh, we can just choose to be the kind of person that I want to be, but it actually means looking back, uh, looking forward, and looking at yourself as God takes you on a journey. So you can register at csvineyard.org backslash events. Again, uh, the retreat is here. The six-month thing is more of an online experience. I would love for you to do both, but the retreat is the place to start, and you, you don't sleep over. You sleep at home. But we provide food, and there'll be uh, just times of reflection, and uh, it's, it's so, so good. I would love for everybody in our church to do this at some point, and this would be an opportunity to jump in. So it doesn't matter your age. Well, I mean, it's better to be an adult. But uh, I see people in their 60s and 70s and beyond 
engaging with this who want to keep growing and keep maturing in the faith. So don't say, oh, I'm too old to change. Like, <laughs> Jesus isn't done with you yet, okay? So you guys are hopefully in Matthew 26 by now. Today we'll be talking about communion, which we just started doing every week here at the Vineyard. We do that for a couple of reasons. The first is it looks like that's what they were doing in the early church, and there's evidence of that in Acts but also of uh, like accounts of what people did at the gathering of believers. It seems like they were almost potluck style, including a time each and every week where they would take communion together. But it's a way for all of us, like kids, adults, and everybody in between, to ground ourselves in the forgiveness and in the love in the invitation and in the kingdom of Jesus. So I want to invite my friend Natalie up. She's going to be reading uh, the scripture today. I would invite everybody to stand as she comes forward. This is just one of the ways that we honor God. We believe that these are his words. And come on up on the stage, Natalie. Here's your mic. Just uh, let, me, let me say, God, please speak to us today as we hear your words. We invite your Holy Spirit to come to inhabit this time, uh, to like draw us to yourself. So meet us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to it for God. Then he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Thank you, Natalie. You guys can have a seat. I think it's cool that we do that same thing after we take communion. We sing a hymn. Uh, the doxology, which you guys, I realized, love singing. Like, if anybody came to church and wondered if you guys believe that God is the source of all good, uh, they wouldn't have to wonder after you sing the doxology. So that'll be at the very end of the service. But uh, if you have your Bibles open, I would just say, if you could invite um, just the word uh, forgive, which is in verse 28. It's kind of a hard word to circle in this particular translation because it's broken up at the end of a column. But then also kingdom. And then and just the very beginning, verse 26, as they were eating. Because I think, as I said two weeks ago, the main thing that God wants for us and from us is friendship with him. And gathering together at a table is one of the primary ways that we express friendship and build friendship and invite people into friendship. There's something about the way God created us that when we share a meal with someone that there's, there's relational bonds that are being made or built or strengthened. And so if you hear anything today, know that an invitation uh, to friendship is 
offered to you from God. And coming to receive communion is one of the ways that we remember uh, that he does offer that friendship, that Jesus' invitation is for each of us. And so the word uh, having a meal together, the invitation of Jesus, the, the idea of forgiveness and Jesus' kingdom, like the reminder that Jesus is the king. He dies for our sins, but he is also raised from the dead. He goes up and sits at the right hand of God the Father and rules as king. Uh, Talking about communion is actually somewhat difficult because those are three aspects, but like a diamond that you could hold up into the light, as you turn it, you start to see just how diverse and beautiful this diamond can be. So communion, I mean, like like the story of the gospel itself, which it points us to, is, is something that could be understood by a child. Like you could be three and understand what communion is, but you also could have been following Jesus for 50 years and not fully comprehend it. And so I'm going to spend most of our time today talking about the invitation of Jesus. If you have your Bibles open, you'll, you'll notice uh, that if you look above and below the passage that we read, there's, there's almost a sandwich that is formed at this dinner. Uh, above it, well, let me, let me start with below. The, notice who's invited to this table. Peter. Of course, Peter, right? He's like Jesus' number one guy. Like on the bridge of the enterprise, he would be number one, right? Uh, but what we know about Peter is that he actually puts his foot in his mouth an awful lot, and in just a few hours, Peter will deny Jesus. But he's invited to the table. Judas, who is talked about just above this passage, and according to the other accounts, like is present for the receiving of this first communion. Judas, who betrays Jesus, is also invited to the table. And it is not Jesus who throws him out. He doesn't say, Peter, John, get this guy out of here. It is that when Jesus exposes what is in Judas' heart, Judas actually runs away. Judas pushes away from Jesus. He goes to the door and later betrays Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so the one who betrays Jesus and the one who denies Jesus is present at the table. Thirdly, and we could go through all of the disciples of Jesus and just look how much each of them screwed up. (laughs) But thirdly, uh, this happens again after this moment, Thomas doubts Jesus. So Thomas, after the resurrection, has a hard time believing What Jesus had indicated before his death, that he would die and be raised again. He's like, I won't believe it until not only do I see it, but I touch the risen Jesus. So here's here's where I'm going with this. Like, come to Jesus with your doubts. Even if you are full of doubt, even if you have denied him, even if you have betrayed him with your words or with your actions, the invitation is still offered to you to not only come to the table, but to come to what the table represents, to the forgiveness and to the friendship of belonging to Jesus' kingdom. We can draw a line here, but expand out what the table of Jesus represents. So this meal 
that Jesus institutes for his followers, for the early church, and even today, 2,000 years later, is symbolic of being at the table of Jesus. But we find Jesus at tables inviting people to friendship all over the New Testament. So just as a for instance, in Luke chapter 5, you guys can turn there, verse 27, that's page 1073, Jesus is going to call one of his disciples, Levi, who is also called <clears throat> Matthew, to, to be one of his followers. And so once again, we find the table of Jesus being this, this grand symbol of who can come and be friends with God. So it says, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. And tax collectors are, are traitors, basically, to the Jewish cause. They have said, I will take Roman loyalty above my brothers and sisters' Jewish loyalty and charge, uh, be the enforcer of the Roman tax code. So this is not somebody who's very well liked. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. So even though this is at Levi's house, everybody knows that Jesus is there. He's the guest of honor. Uh, the, the significance of Jesus coming to dine with Matthew cannot be understated. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. So from a PR standpoint, this, this is really bad. But from an inclusion standpoint, from a width of God's invitation, this is really good news for all of us who don't live perfect lives. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Or like the more literal Greek would be just, these are sinners. You're offering them your friendship? How can this be? And, and it's criticism. And Jesus says to them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but to those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And so we have all these examples of Jesus interacting with outcasts, with people who have screwed up really bad, and it's been a public screw-up because, like, the super holy people look at them and they, they know the reputation. And we think after the interaction they have with Jesus, they go on to live perfect lives. Like, oh, they were sinners, but then they met Jesus and then they were perfect from then on. I doubt it. Because even the people who were closest to Jesus, who'd been following Jesus for three years, doubt, deny, and betray. So why would you think somebody who has been living a, perhaps a lifetime of decisions of, of, that don't align with the intent of God for their lives, why would that suddenly be a, and now I'm perfect? I mean, that's not my experience. I'm not perfect. I'm still, I'm a work in progress. And I bet you are too. This gets reinforced uh, even stronger if you, you can jump to Matthew chapter 11. I don't have the page reference there, but uh, Jesus is actually being accused by the religious leaders in Matthew 11 verse 19. 
Um, He says, the son of man feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So because Jesus has invited this wide array of people, imperfect, screw-up people to his table, not after they've become perfect, (laughs) not because they've cleaned up their lives and repented, but in order that they might be drawn close to the heart of Jesus and the love of God. That is why he invites them to the table. It is actually Jesus who becomes the target of accusation. You are just like those good-for-nothing folks who you eat with. You're a glutton and a drunkard. And so the invitation of Jesus is wide. And I want to include one more um, reference here because it's significant to me uh, that we invite children to the table. And there are, I, I don't, I, I understand it because I grew up in a tradition that wouldn't let you take communion as a kid until you made a public profession of faith, sort of like you had to wait to be baptized before you could take uh, communion, even though there's not really any biblical precedent for that. In fact, I would say the invitation of Jesus uh, would, would state the opposite. And so if you open up or turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, You guys probably know the story. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering them. Kids, you ever been scolded? (laughs) Um, The disciples are upset because they have this false belief that adults are more important than kids and that adults get to be with Jesus, but kids are just kind of annoying. And don't get me wrong, I have been annoyed by my own children. Uh, But the response of Jesus in verse 14 is, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he places his hands on their heads and he blesses them before he left. And so we see the invitation of Jesus to friendship being wrapped up into the invitation of Jesus to his table to receive the Lord's Supper, communion, mass, Eucharist, whatever you call it. I actually like the word Eucharist the best, but that's because I'm a little bit of a nerd. And uh, that's, the Greek, that's the Greek word. And uh, if, you, if you've ever met an uh, Orthodox person, like an Eastern Orthodox person, they probably call it Eucharist, right? And it's two Greek words that actually mean good and gift, which is what we've got here. It's, it's a freely offered gift. But when you put the words together, it actually also means thanksgiving. And so we have a lot to be thankful for at the table of Jesus. And I remember one time I was sitting in an Anglican church, and as soon as they made the call forward for communion, which they do every week in Anglican churches. The mom says, okay, it's time. And the kid folds, the kid folds his hands, or I think it was a him, and they list 10 things that they're thankful for. Thankful for the food I ate today. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my house. You know, like that was part of what it meant to come to the table of Jesus to remember and recognize how generous God is to us. <clears throat> 
And so in Matthew 26, which is where we started, Jesus says something uh, that, that makes it difficult, perhaps for us to fully understand what it means to come to his table. But he says in verse 26, take this and eat it, referring to the bread, for this is my body. And in verse um, 27, he takes a cup of wine and gives thanks for it. And he gives it to them and he says, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant or the promise between God and his people which God makes a lot of promises, but I am drawn to the promise of, I will be your God and you will be my people. You belong to me. But what does Jesus mean by this? And this has been one of the hotly debated topics throughout church history. And I just want to, I want to hopefully open this up for you and help you understand. And the vineyard doesn't have like an official position on this, but there's basically a spectrum and on the one hand, some people take the words of Jesus like very literally here when he says, this is my body and this is my blood. They say, well, what happens is the bread and the cup get transformed, like the substance changes. So if you were raised Catholic, that's probably the belief that you held. Like this is actually below the atomic level, but in substance changing so that on the table there is Jesus' blood and there is Jesus' body. And so, for instance, at the end of Mass, the priest has to eat all the leftovers because he can't just throw Jesus' blood and body in the trash can, right? So if you ever see me in the kitchen afterward, uh, anyway, I, did, I was really hungry that one day. <laughs> uh, so that's one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is actually where most American Christians land, uh, the belief that communion, the Lord's Supper, is purely symbolic. Now, even though most American Christians, I think, believe that, and it makes sense because we're very influenced by a secular materialistic culture, like what could it be other than bread and wine and a symbol? That was a minority view uh, until, let's say, 200 or 100 years ago. So 500 years ago, pretty much everybody either believed the substance changed or what I'll call the mysterious middle. And so between these two extremes, I, there's a mysterious middle, and that is that Jesus is spiritually present, really present, and that in taking and eating, there's like a nourishing of our souls that happens that we can't totally comprehend, but that is real. And in the vineyard, again, there's not an official position, but we actually have this awareness that the Holy Spirit is meeting us and so I don't think it's a leap to say in communion, there's actually a, a spiritual poignancy to what's happening. Like there's, uh, if you can use the language of, there's like a veil perhaps between heaven and earth. The veil is thin in the moment of communion. And so you can believe what you want and come and receive communion. That's the beauty of it. Because people from every tradition at least occasionally, come to the table. It's a uniting thing for followers of Jesus, no matter what kind of church you belong to. But I, I'm biased toward that middle, mysterious middle of there's a spiritual reality. Something is happening. And I don't fully rationally comprehend it, but 
in my body as I take the physical bread and cup, something happens in my soul or in my spirit. God is meeting us with his grace and with his presence. If you take with hands of faith. Now, if you don't take with hands of faith, like faith is kind of like the way we receive the gifts of God, then, it, then it's not necessarily going to mean much. But you could still take. And you could still, I would actually say if you're coming to it and expecting for God to meet you in communion, that's actually faith. Like you've, you've oriented, you've taken a step. Maybe it's your first step of faith. I'm not sure what I believe, but I'm going to come and receive communion, which is okay because you know who else wasn't sure if they believed before having a meal with the resurrected Jesus? Thomas, one of his 12. And so all are invited to the table of Jesus. That's one of the beauties of what communion points us to. It's like a, a physical sign of a spiritual or a holy reality. And I was, I was reminded just of the impact of like the forgiveness of Jesus and, and how the, the body and the blood represent his death, but also the life that comes from his death and the forgiveness that comes from his death. So if you can imagine, it's about 2005, and I'm in college, and I'm broke, and I have a couple of roommates. I don't think I even own a car at this point. Um, I have a couple of roommates. We go to the equivalent of Wegmans, and uh, the car is a matte black station wagon with a Batman sign on the hood. Yeah. And they don't make them that way. <laughs> But we had gone in and gotten our groceries and gotten whatever, and uh, I don't know why exactly, but this maybe isn't hard for you to imagine. They had these big speakers in the trunk. So this is like a hatchback that kind of like, you remember these cars? And there are big speakers in the back, so you know, you could really thump it. For some reason, one of those speakers was set up on end for the groceries to be put there. Uh, and you know, they were gonna set it down before they closed the trunk. But I'm like, okay, groceries are in the trunk. And I slam down the trunk, which is covered in glass, right through the speaker. Crash. Glass everywhere. And we all just look at the mess that I had made. And I said, I'm sorry. I don't know how to fix this. Like, I don't have money. I'm, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Ooh, still choking me up. And he said, don't worry about it. And so him and his dad, uh, who were pretty handy, bought a piece of glass, a new piece of glass, or I think it was actually plexiglass. So it was a little, you know, it was a makeshift option, and they installed it, and they never spoke of it again. And that's our story for each of us who have come to Jesus. That is your story. I have made a mess of my life and of other people's lives, and I don't have the ability to fix it. And Jesus pays the cost 
And Jesus does the work. And it's like he never speaks of it again. But what he does offer us is an invitation. He offers us friendship. There are, and it had to do with the character of my friend. So there would have been people, there would have been roommates who would have said, well, pay up, chump. Or would have like basically terminated the friendship. It didn't have anything to do with me. It had everything to do with his generosity. And that's, that's at the root of it what the table is pointing us to. The generosity of God, his willingness to pay the price and fix the problem to erase our sin and restore relationship. And so would you guys please stand? Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.